All right, let me, have, let me have your attention. This is important. Last Sunday, as you know, our early arrival team found someone here on campus unresponsive and called 9-11. And because of the condition he was in, the team didn't recognize who it was at first, but later uh, we learned that it was, in fact, the suicide of one of our very own. And I remember talking to Michael about Jesus early last spring right there in my office. I know that our brother is with Heavenly Dad today. And for his family who I know is watching on the live stream this morning, I want you to know that that can be a comfort to you in this tragic time. We know where he is. And over the last few months, though, our precious young brother, Michael, <clears throat> had been overwhelmed with the burdens that he had been carrying for years. And we've since learned through his post and other notes and through investigation that he came to Grace Life that morning because this was his spiritual home and he wanted a place where he could sense God's presence in his final moments. I have more to say about Michael later, but I wanted to make sure that you as a church family at the time that it happened, we didn't know who it was, and now we do. And it was a rough week. <clears throat> but with that in mind, I want to talk about Joshua. This is week 22 in our series. We're almost done with it. Titled this message, Teach the Next Generation. Do you ever wonder or have you forgotten why we have begun calling this place during this series? We've been calling where Grace Life sits. We've started to kind of call it Mount Lockwood Ridge. You've probably heard that a few times. What does he mean? Or I forgot what it means. It is actually from earlier in this series on Joshua. It was after the battle of Jericho and after the fall of the city of Ai. And they all went to worship at Mount Ebal. And it says outsiders or sojourners were drawn to them to worship God with Israel. And I believe it's very clear that grace life is becoming like Mount Ebal here on Mount Lockwood Ridge, where the hurting and the seeking are being drawn to experience love and acceptance and redemption. And as more sojourners or, or outsiders or travelers gather here at Grace Life at what we call Mount Lockwood Ridge, Grace Life has been given a specific task that we must become more intentional with. As our little church, which is maybe not so little anymore and it continues to grow, one of the things that begins to form are these natural, even healthy sometimes, subgroups within our church family. We have younger children and we have younger families. We have young single adults. We have older saints who have been walking with Jesus for a long time. There's women's groups. There's men's groups. There's single moms. There's married parents. There's people in recovery ministries. And these are all natural subgroups. The problem becomes letting subgroups form barriers with little or no interaction between them. Sometimes even resentment builds. And when these barriers form, and I believe these barriers are a work of evil, when these barriers form, they can become massive obstacles to our success of the mission God has given Grace Life here at Mount Lockwood Ridge. We must be sure that we tear down these barriers, make sure they don't get in the way of our calling. 
One way we must do this is by making sure that we older generations who've been walking with Jesus for a while begin to intentionally look for ways and opportunities to teach the younger generation, the new followers of Jesus, what it means to go into the land with the gospel. And that's not just parents teaching their children. That's important and that's critical. It's also teaching those who will be able to continue our work when some of us are done. Joshua chapter 23, I'm going to read this passage to you. It's the whole chapter. It's about 16 verses, I guess. Long after, when God had given rest to Israel, long after meaning the battles and the wars and the land being divided, so they're settling in. Long after, when God had given rest to Israel from all their enemies, Joshua was very old. He summoned all of Israel and its leaders together and said to them, I am now very old. You know, that phrase is like eight times, right? He's advanced the years. He's old. Joshua says, yeah, I get it. I know I'm old. (laughs) You've seen all God has done to these nations for your sake. It is God who fought for you. Behold, I've given you as an inheritance those nations remaining along with the nations I've already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea. Your God will push them back, drive them out of your sight. You shall possess their land just as God promised. But be sure to keep all that is written in the book of the law. Never turn aside to the right or the left. Don't mix with the nations remaining or acknowledge their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow to them. Cling to your God as you have to this day. For God has driven out great, strong nations. None have been able to stand before you since it's God who fights for you as he promised. Therefore, love your God. If you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations or marry them or or live among them, know that God will no longer drive them out, but they shall be a snare for you, a whip on your sides, thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good ground God gave you. Now I'm about to die. And you all know in your hearts and souls, not one word has failed of all the good things God has promised you. Not one has failed. But just as all God promised you has been fulfilled, so will God allow upon you all the evil things until he removes you from this good land he has given you if you break the covenant of God he commanded you and you serve and worship other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from the good land he gave you. It's quite a farewell speech. I want you to see there is a history in this passage of wisdom and warnings. So Joshua has been leading Israel for decades now. He has done everything God has commanded him to do to the best of his ability. He's proven to be a very effective seasoned military leader. He's led Israel through many battles against very powerful enemies and been successful in all of them. But once his fighting days were over, we see that Joshua transitioned to a different role. And we studied this earlier. He became a very effective executive leader, organizing the nation, successfully dividing up the land among all the tribes. He created structures like the cities of refuge that we learned about. Things are good. And Joshua knows that the battlefield was only part of their journey. Israel's greatest battle to come is their battle to remain faithful to their God. Joshua knows his life is almost over, and it's time for his final expression of love as the leader of Israel. 
And this wasn't just something he rolled out of bed one day and decided, you know what, I think I'll give a speech. Tell everybody to come together. It's thousands and tens of thousands of people. It took time. It took planning. Joshua knows this is one of the most important acts as the leader of God's people, and it is no small event. He had to plan the logistics of all those people in one place. He had to write the speech. He practiced it. He gathered all the leaders of Israel, all the elders, the heads, the judges, the officers, and he wants to deliver this farewell address before he's gone. He reminds them about all that God has done from the time of Abraham all the way up to that very moment right there in the promised land. How God fought for Israel every time as powerful enemy appeared, God drove them out just as he promised he would. Now Israel is enjoying peace on all sides. And while the people are set up for great success, the future is still, in fact, in question, much like it is here at Grace Life. You see, despite all God had done for them, which was a lot, Joshua had seen how they have a tendency to drift away and forget. Joshua saw it firsthand, right? While Moses was still alive, When he went up on the mountain and the people down below made a golden cow and started worshiping it in the wilderness. And Joshua saw it again when Israel fell in love with sexual idolatry at Peor. He saw it with the sin of Achan. We studied that story. And it's happening again right now as he speaks. Virtually every tribe is failing to obey the command of God and drive out the rest of the enemy. Remember we talked about that. He warns them about marrying them, having children with them, compromising by worshiping their false gods and participating in their pagan worship services. He warns how the lifestyle of the Canaanites, if they allow it to stay, will draw them away from their God and Israel could in fact lose their inheritance. It's a very sober, direct speech with both encouragement and warning to everyone from a man who truly loves them. So that's the history. I want to look at the spiritual. What about God? What is he doing? I want you to see what we have here is a passing of the baton, and it's a concept that's actually throughout Scripture. So Joshua is, in fact, fully aware of his mortality, but he is still completely, at the very end even, fully committed to God. He's old. He can't do everything he used to. But he still has considerable wisdom. And he has a history of loyalty to God and his people. Joshua wants desperately to encourage, to prepare, to warn this next younger generation to be faithful to what God had called them to do. And he took this role, just this role right here, he took this role just as seriously as he took the high-profile role of leading Israel across the Jordan River into the land. Just as serious as the battle against Jericho and Ai and Gibeon. And he wants to give clear warnings about the consequences of possible complacency and disobedience to God's direct commands. And just as Joshua embraced the responsibility of preparing the next generation for success after he is gone, we have another example of that in the New Testament. Our dear brother Paul did the same thing. Just like Joshua, Paul has a history of loyalty to God and his people. And Paul was concerned for his younger brother Timothy, who he had led to Christ. He was also concerned for those young churches he had started. He was concerned that once he was gone, they would not remain faithful. 
So Paul wrote many letters to Timothy and to those churches, some of them while he was suffering in prison, staring down a death sentence. Look at what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. He writes this to Timothy. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this. Some have made shipwreck of their faith or their lives. Have you seen that? People who once followed Jesus who made a shipwreck of their lives. See, Paul was encouraging Timothy and the churches, don't you ever be ashamed of proclaiming the true, unfiltered gospel to all the nations. It's a gospel of love and grace and mercy, forgiveness, but also a gospel that warns of judgment and commands repentance. Paul told them, Timothy and those churches, please cling closely to the sound doctrine and the faith that I have taught you. Don't ever waver from the left or the right. You see the similarities? And Paul would tell them, no matter how hard it gets or how much the world hates you, never give in to the pressure to compromise the truth. Not political truth, spiritual truth. There's a difference. We are interested here at Grace Life in spiritual truth. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. But those who desire riches fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This is the same letter. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs or pains. Doesn't that sound a lot like Joshua's warning? See, like Joshua, Paul warned the churches about being sucked back into the wickedness God had saved them from and being sucked back into the lifestyle of the people of around them. Paul also warned them about the consequences of straying from faith, letting the world pull them away. Look at this, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. <laughs> Might be, right? Could be? No. Will be. He warned them that following Jesus would be hard. You know, a lot of times people think, once I get walking with God, I get involved in the church, I get my stuff together, then I'll be blessed. He says, don't be surprised when you're scorned and ridiculed or life gets more difficult. Just because you're following Jesus doesn't mean your life will be, I'll put it in quotations because we are blessed, but not the way many people think. Just because you're following Jesus doesn't mean you'll be blessed. Boy, I got a great job, great house. I am blessed. Well, maybe, but that's not how we measure our blessings as followers of Jesus, is it? In fact, your life might very well be quite the opposite. All right, so that's the theology. I want you to see how this theme of teaching the next generation, warning them, encouraging them is part of the scripture. I want to talk about the personal section now, a little longer than normal. I want to talk about what about us? What are we supposed to do? I've called this section teaching one another, and this was the uh, sermon preview this week. Generational or life experience barriers have no place among God's people. Our mission is too important. So in my last sermon, a week before last, 
we learned about how important protecting and nurturing unity is. Do you remember how important that is going to be to our success at Lockwood Ridge? We learned about that, that the best way, one of the best ways to protect our unity is through reconciliation and conflict resolution. We outlined the steps, right? Boom, we went right through it, we explained them all to you. So not only did we tell you to reconcile, remember I gave you two weeks, because next week's we're doing the Lord's table, so if you haven't done it yet, you got another week. Reconcile, we're gonna come together. And I taught you how to do that, how important that is. But today's sermon is about another critical ingredient for building powerful, healing, enduring unity. Today's sermon is about teaching, creating unity. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. This is the Great Commission. And just so you understand, what I've been trying to show you, if you haven't picked up on it yet, is the commission that God gave Joshua is the exact one that he gave us. Go into the land. Remember that? Go into the land and do everything I've told you. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You see the similarities. I love how that younger generation in the story in Joshua, I love how out of respect, they dropped everything in their busy lives, everything they were doing, and they came together to hear Joshua. That was probably a full day and a half, maybe two. You understand that, right? They got to travel. They got to get there. They got to get settled. They got to get their kids. And Their lives were busy. The old kids were playing, probably playing baseball. They had work schedules. They had busy family lives. They got household chores and there's lots of reasons they could have given the younger to not go. I know what he's going to say. I'm just going to stay here. You go and record it for me. I'll watch it on YouTube. Joshua has a live stream, right? No, they showed up. They came because they knew what Joshua had to say was important. <clears throat> Timothy also took Paul's letters very seriously. Did you know that? In fact, most of the churches did too. Some didn't. Corinth, calling you out. Both Paul and Joshua, in fact, by teaching the younger generations, did so much to unify God's people. Grace Life can learn from this story of Joshua and the younger generation in Israel. We can also learn from Paul and Timothy and those churches. Can you see what Joshua did, what Jesus did for his disciples, how they passed it on and others have passed it on and passed it on for 2,000 years until I'm passing it on right now and you've passed it on? You can see how that works? Here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm excited about what's going on at Grace Life. There's a lot of cool stuff, but we will not continue to draw more sojourners, more travelers, more outsiders, more hurting seekers to Mount Lockwood Ridge unless we invest in the ones we already have. It can't just be me up here. As I said earlier, it is natural, even healthy, to form generational, demographic, or life experience subgroups within a church family. There's nothing wrong with that. But we cannot let our subgroups build barriers keeping us from living life together or, God forbid, even begin to compete for our church resources. Because Jesus has not designed his church to live segmented barriers. We need each other for this mission. 
Michael wasn't just someone in our subgroups or ministries. He was a full new family member at Grace Life. He was a new follower of Jesus. Baptized last April with 10 others. In fact, was that not one of our most precious services in church history? He was part of it. He was one of the reasons you were so blessed that day. Okay, I need, to, I need you to really lean in here and listen. I'm not saying that Michael's choice last Sunday morning was our fault. It's not. But the fact that Michael came here in his final hours does say a lot about what God is doing through us here on Mount Lockwood Ridge, does it not? That he wanted to be here. Another member of our family, I was talking to you about it, described it incredible, and I've, been, I've probably used it 20 times since then. It is such a sad story for our church, but it also has this incredible beauty in it too. I told his family that. But there is something we as a church family at Grace Life can take from this tragic yet beautiful story. I think it is exactly connected to what Joshua and Paul did. 2 Timothy 2.2, another letter to Timothy. The things you have heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So older, when I say older, it is age, but it's not just age. It's those of us who have followed Jesus for a long time. We've been trained. We've been discipled. People have invested a lot in us. And we have, by God's grace, a history of loyalty to his people and faithfulness. And like with Israel in chapter 23, we have... Many new believers like Michael at Grace Life with much to learn. And I can tell you, I'm with them all the time. They are hungry. Like Paul and Joshua, we who have followed Jesus for a long time and we are trained and equipped and we've studied the word and we understand prayer and we understand doctrine and theology, we are commanded to encourage, to teach, to prepare them for the calling God has given to us here on Mount Lockwood Ridge so that we can one day pass the baton off to them because I can promise you, just like Joshua had to, we will. We who are older must be intentional. We must do what Paul instructed Timothy to do with new believers in his church. We must do it in ours. It's on us, older saints, to to put in the work like Joshua did for his day and Paul did in prison. It is on us, older saints, followers of Jesus, seasoned followers of Jesus. It is on us to break down the barriers that evil is desperately trying to build within our church. Us. Just like old man Joshua and Paul in prison we don't get to quit kingdom work. Now, our role may change within it because sometimes we can't do the things we used to. But our role does change and it should. God wants us who are advanced in years to love, 
mentor, equip, encourage, teach our younger Grace Life family. See, younger isn't just about age either. You can be 60 and be young. It's, oh, it's about those who are brand new to following Jesus or who have not been equipped or trained enough to follow Jesus as much as they want to. We must come alongside of all of them and love them. All right. Us old people, I just ripped on us pretty good, didn't we? We got work to do. <laughs> you younger people, you younger followers of Jesus, you listen. It's not just on us olds to find you and teach you. You have an undeniable job too. Hebrews 13, 7, look what Paul says. I think it was Paul. Some people don't. Go back. It might have gone out. I'll just... All right. Rem uh, I'll read it here. Remember your leaders. <laughs> Remember your leaders. Oh, good. Thank goodness. Look at 13, 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Ten verses later in verse 17, listen to your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Yeah, we've got a responsibility. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning. In other words, don't make it hard on us, we're old. <laughs> for that would be of no advantage to you. Like the younger people in Israel and young Timothy, you younger people, listen to me, you must make it a priority to seek out and connect and learn from us older followers of Jesus. You know why? Because when we were unfaithful. We have seen him keep his promises when there was no reason for him to do so. We have been through tragedy. We've made many mistakes. We know firsthand the consequences of our unfaithfulness. We aren't better or smarter. We, we've just already made the mistakes you're thinking about making right now. <laughs> you need, listen, you need to make it easy and joyful for the older among us to do our job. Walk in unity with us. Learn from us. Don't just hang out with the people your age or people like you. Please do not live behind barriers with other people or other families or other people in recovery. Don't just seek ways to only be with people that are like you. Come together with all of us. Be here on Sundays. Sign up for the next grace group. Show up at our awesome church-wide fellowships like the Chili Cook-Off next Sunday. It's going to be off the chain. Be available. How about that? Be teachable. Listen to your elders when we try to teach you about the goodness and the mercy of our precious Jesus. Be hungry for the wisdom you can glean from our experiences, also our failures and our stories about God's faithfulness. Heed, please, heed our warnings about the consequences of wandering from Jesus, about what unfaithfulness will actually cost you. And it's a lot more than you think. 
older saints. It's on us to build relationships with the new saints in our church family and teach them all we have learned. Younger saints, it is on you to seek out relationship with us olds. Learn everything you can while you can because we won't always be here. And when the older do as Joshua did and the younger are like Timothy, it builds, I'm just going to tell you, you want unity? That builds an incredibly powerful unity at Grace Life that evil will despise. It will make our mission here on Mount Lockwood Ridge even more beautiful and more successful than it is right now. It will also ensure our next generation of grace lifers, when we are gone, are trained and equipped and ready to be just as faithful as we've tried to be and to continue to go into the land when the rest of us are gone. Grace life starting today. We must overcome any barriers that evil has erected between us by teaching one another so we can continue to go into the land with the gospel. Dear Jesus, we pray that you would help us to overcome all of those barriers that evil is putting up between different groups within our church. I'm not saying that it's been a huge problem, but we know that's what evil wants to do. Protect us from that. Lord, give us endurance, the wisdom, the discernment, the discipline to seek out where those barriers are and to tear them down with the truth of teaching and discipleship and encouragement, and mentoring. Lord, I pray for the younger believers, both in age and in time with you, that you would give them the hearts that are hungry and thirsty for truth, that they want to grow and learn and heal so that they can be equipped when we can no longer do what we're doing, they could take over. Lord, be with us, be with us as as shepherds and elders in this church, that you would give us the wisdom to know how to put up the structures and the process to provide these opportunities for those in the church, the older and the younger, no matter what the subgroups are, to come together so we can learn.